We are in the study that, if you would join me in Matthew chapter 25, Matthew 25 to get started this evening. We are in a study, if you're joining with us, that we've been doing the last few weeks. We were doing it in January, February, took a break for March as we did our missions month, and I resumed it again this morning after Easter last week with something special, and we started talking from Matthew 25, explaining some of those details. Let me go back to our chart that some of our church family are familiar with. We're talking about us being in this time period of the church being pictured and it's in that time period that we don't know how long, we don't know when it is, but soon, and I'm expecting, the news makes me convinced it's any moment that Jesus Christ is going to come back, take us to heaven in what we refer to in the scriptures as the rapture. Sometime after that, weeks, months, hours, years, I don't know, there's going to start a period that's called the tribulation. Jesus described this last seven years in human history as the worst time in all of human history, and that if men left to themselves, they would destroy the world, but he'll interrupt that and come to the, second, come to the earth in his second coming. This seven-year period starts with a treaty between Antichrist when he is leading the ten-nation confederacy that is in uh, what we assume to be modern Europe, could be America as well, because it was in the, the realm of where the ancient Roman Empire was, according to Daniel chapter 9. And so he signs a treaty with the Jews, and it begins the seven-year period. The first three and a half years, there's trials, tribulations around the world, but he says, you shall hear of these things, speaking to the Jewish people. They, for the most part, are doing okay because they've got this treaty. But in the middle of it, there's going to be a great battle. There's going to be a series of battles. Uh, Antichrist suffers a deadly wound. He rises again, whether it's an actual physical resurrection or something that's deployed and depicted. He's going to come back and present himself then as miraculously empowered God himself, and he will go into the temple that will be rebuilt and functioning at that time and sit in the temple and claim he's Jehovah God. He will then have the dictate where everybody has to worship him. You have to take the mark of the beast, 666. He'll become the world dictator, expand from the ten-nation confederacy to dominate the, uh, the known world at that time. And that'll begin the last three and a half years, which are horrible horrible time. The first three and a half years were really bad during the sealed judgments. We know that a third of the humankind will, will die during that time period. The second half during the trumpets of bold judgments, another quarter of the individuals who are on planet earth will die. So there's going to be a horrible, horrible time. It's going to be death. It's going to be diseases, disasters, natural disasters, uh, man-made disasters. Just an awful period where Jesus again said if it Days weren't be short and nobody could survive it. Well, it all leads up and it climaxes into a battle of Armageddon. As we mentioned this morning, that battle is when the nations of the earth are combined. They're fighting against one another. They're especially trying to wipe out the Jews. If they can wipe out the Jews, we got to remember this. If Satan, who's inspiring all this, can destroy and wipe out the Jews, he's won. He's proven that God is not able to defend his chosen people. And so this battle of Armageddon, it's pitched around Jerusalem with a design to wipe out the Jews. In the height of the battle, Jesus Christ will descend from heaven on a horse, and he'll bring with him all of his armies on a horse, and he's going to interrupt the battle. And the arrogance, the... Um, the pride of humankind, people on planet earth who are following Antichrist, they will think they can shoot the supernatural being coming out of heaven. They can shoot him down. 
and they'll turn their weapons upon him. He'll speak but a word and everything is done. And Jesus Christ descends all the way to planet earth down, as somebody asked me this morning, where's he going to come down to the Mount of Olives, split the mountain in half. The Jews will run to him, call upon him as their believer. That'll be their day of ultimately them all getting saved. And then our big question is what happens next? We were in Matthew 25 this morning. Matthew 25, to summarize it very quickly, it goes this way in verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all his angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all the nations. He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep and goats. He shall set the sheep on the right hand but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say to them on the right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. Let's jump down into the text. Verse 41, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then at the end of the chapter, These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And so this next thing that we want to discuss in length, a little bit more in detail as the weeks approach, but tonight we're beginning some, uh, continuing some of the discussion, the sheep goat judgment, which is basically determining who's going to be able to go into the kingdom or not, who's going to go into this, this heavenly kingdom here on earth, and who's going to end up in hell, and as we talked about this morning, the choice is up to you, the individual's how they respond during that time period that's approaching it. How do they respond? Follow Antichrist? Don't follow Antichrist. Uh, side with uh, helping the Jews who are on the run, you know, feeding them, helping them, uh, helping them when they're being destitute and, and imprisoned, things like that, or siding with Antichrist against them. And so based upon their works, it'll be very evident where their faith was, in Christ or following Antichrist. And so this judgment takes place, and as a result, then the kingdom of God starts. The kingdom of God is requiring more than just a few minutes of a study. The kingdom of God is predicted throughout the Old Testament. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God and the Jews having the opportunity to get the kingdom started when he was here on earth. And uh, eventually what we know from scriptures, and we'll get into it in our, in our upcoming studies, when he starts the kingdom after this judgment, and there's a few other things he does during a 75-day period that there's a gap in here, then he's going to start a thousand-year kingdom. And we read about that in Revelation chapter 20 that it lasts for a thousand years and he depicts what's going to happen to Satan and what's going to happen and how people are going to live. It's going to be a worldwide kingdom and Jesus will be in rule over the entire earth. We will get rid of Washington, D.C. and we'll have Jesus ruling. And I think if we were to vote today... Jesus, right? Okay. And so Jesus will be king over the entire planet and it will be a heavenly place like the Garden of Eden here on earth uh, type of a situation. The, um, the, the discussion where I want to get to this evening explain has to do with this facet. Who are all the citizens of there? And I'm only going to talk about some of it. There's more to, more to come on this. We know all the Old Testament saints are going to be in this kingdom. We know as well all the church saints that have been raptured prior to the tribulation, we'll be in this kingdom because when we go to heaven, we shall ever be with the Lord. We know as well that all those who survived, who died during the tribulation and were martyred, they're going to be into this kingdom if they were born again. And those who are still alive when he comes back and does the sheep goat judgment, we know that those who are believers, they're going to enter into this kingdom as well. And so there's going to be a lot of people there 
And there's lots of questions that I want to answer about this kingdom that we don't have time to do tonight. But there's questions like, what will it be like? Uh, you know, what are we going to do in the kingdom? Um, where will we live exactly? There's questions that come up. Where's Satan during this time period? And why does the kingdom only last a thousand years? And what happens at the end of the thousand years? The Bible's very depictive of these details. Um, there's going to be a revolt at the end. I'm going to just open up the, the window a little bit. There's going to be a revolt at the end of the thousand years. And the question that some people ask is, well, could we end up revolting against Jesus Christ, we who are believers, and then live in the kingdom and then revolt against Jesus Christ? We'll answer those questions. But the big question I want to answer tonight is this, well, if the Old Testament saints are going to go into that kingdom with the resurrected bodies, we're going to go into the kingdom with our resurrected bodies. These people from the tribulation, they're going to go, who died, they're going to go in there with the resurrected bodies. The other people who survived, they're going to go in with their bodies as well. Where have the spirits been all the time? Where have all the Old Testament saints been all this time since they died? Okay, since they went, you know, into eternity. Now the question is, you know, what were we doing during the tribulation? I've already mentioned it, that we were in the, uh, where there's going to be for us, there's going to have the Bema Seat judgments going to be taking place prior to the tribulation, or certainly during the beginning sometime with that. But the big question that I want to answer, is this kingdom what we call heaven today? Because we say today, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We talk about, you know, heaven's a wonderful place, and you know, we sing the songs about it. Is the kingdom heaven? Is heaven today the kingdom? And there's a lot of confusion about that. And so I want to go to John chapter 14 and use that as our basis this evening to do a discussion on heaven. Now remember in John chapter 14, and most of you remember how he starts off the very first phrase of that chapter. Do you remember how it goes? Let not your Hearts be what? Okay, pulled in pieces. He's talking to disciples who are absolutely, they're, they're distraught. They have problems. They don't have COVID, but they have a lot of other issues that are causing them a lot of, a lot of uh, angst. And so he's talking to them, and in giving them some encouragement, he's going to talk about heaven. He's going to talk not only about the Holy Spirit and about prayer, but he's going to talk about this promise of heaven. And he says with it, let not your heart be troubled. Well, how do I get comfort when we're in a perilous time? Thinking about the future. Thinking about heaven. And um, he says, I, I need to leave to go and prepare a place for you. I must go again and prepare a place for you and I will come again. The idea is he's going to get this prepared. However, when we talk about the kingdom in Matthew chapter 25, it's been being prepared since the foundation of the world. What's he mean? Is there a conflict? What, what's going on here? And what is he exactly referring to? Is he referring to just the kingdom? But he gave the sense that as soon as he leaves, he's going to be preparing something. What is that something? And this whole discussion, you know, what, where it brings down to, we'll give you the answer right up front. He's talking about, I'm going to prepare, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to prepare heaven for you, that where I'm there you may be also. And it's the heaven that we have most, most think, most often we talk about. The heaven that's this beautiful, wonderful place in the spirit realm high above us. And yet when we think about that, some people don't have a lot of comfort about heaven. It doesn't provide peace for a lot of people. It doesn't provide stability for a lot of people. Why is that? Well, let me, let me give you just a couple pictures. You look at these pictures of people who talk about 
you know, life compared to heaven. I miss the stress. You got to be kidding. But, okay, you know, what do we do here for fun? We sing and read the Bible. Wow, that sounds like you guys really cut loose. Okay, what in this picture, okay, these, these are common concepts. What are the common, com, in these common concepts, what are the most erroneous, egregious understandings, misunderstandings people have about heaven? Well, one, somebody, yeah, I think I've heard the two thoughts that I have in mind. Somebody says we're becoming angels. We never become angels. We never become angels. I'm sorry, you're not going to get your wings. Okay. <laughs> we never become angels. The other one, Lloyd, did, did you say people think heaven's boring? Okay. I, I got I to tend to agree. If I'm going to float on a cloud and play a harp, number one, you don't want to hear it because of my lack of musical ability. Number two, I don't want to do that for all eternity. Okay, I can't imagine having to sit or stand in one spot for an extended period of time like millions and millions of years. I would go nuts. Okay, and so I, I, but I don't picture heaven as being a boring place. It's just that there's that concept and why is it that people have misunderstandings? Well, it could be the wrong ideas about heaven could be because people get bad spiritual information. There is bad teaching out there, okay? Satan implants that. And if Satan wants to discourage people from pursuing how to get into heaven, make heaven sound kind of boring. Make heaven sound like it's no fun. Make heaven sound like it's, it's just not a place you want to go to. And when people hear certain things long enough, they kind of believe it. We had a situation uh, that I'm referring to with the kids in the balcony to remind ourselves that right before COVID struck, it was interesting. Some of the kids were playing like they do after church. The kids run around, get all over the building. And some of the kids were playing in the balcony. And Pastor Tony walked up and just kind of interrupted some of the kids say, hey, what are you doing? And they say, we're playing immigrants. And it's like, what? Okay, you hear it on the news? And the kids were saying, we're playing immigrants. Immigrants. These guys are trying to get into our country by coming through the border the wrong way. And they were playing. He says, well, have they been successful? Yeah. They found where there isn't a wall. And they came up into the balcony. And he asked him, he says, where was the hole in the wall? It was the stairways in the back of the foyer that lead up to there. They hear it so much, all of a sudden they develop this concept and it becomes part of their games. Well, people hear these, these discouraging thoughts about heaven and it becomes, okay, it becomes what they believe or they think it is. And they go back and they say, well, you know, this bad information discourages people thinking and talking about heaven. And yet heaven is such a wonderful place. You know, and yet... There's a lack of Bible study. I put down these comments. Many believers have never read a book on heaven. Have you? There's a lot of books out there. Good ones. Good ones. There's a lot of garbage books. Especially the garbage books I put into that category. Those people who want to tell you all of their experiences that they had in heaven. I remind you that when Paul talks about knowing a man who died and went to heaven, whether it be in the flesh or not in the flesh, and he mentions that several times, he says he, there was things he heard that were unlawful to speak. And so when people come back from these out-of-body experiences and want to tell you all this concept about heaven, I would remind you, Scripture says, that giving all that detail is not what God has planned. It is unlawful for them to be speaking these things. So I would have a big question mark over a lot of those people who talk about some of these odd things that happen in heaven. 
had, there's many theological courses that, that quite frankly don't teach a lot. I never had in my 12 years of training, I never had a single course on heaven. There wasn't one. Okay, that, that was being taught. The many theologies that I'm talking about, systematic theological books, they contain very little about heaven. And yet the Bible has a lot. And yet we're confused by it. Because there's a lot of terms that are used that talk about heaven. There's such like heaven, we say that, the kingdom. We say paradise, we say Abraham's bosom. These are all Bible terms. City built by God, far better country, a new earth. Do they all refer to the same place? That was a question, yes or no? Okay, And the answer is, not really. They refer to the same, the same concept and the same experience, but at, in different phases, different, uh, different sites. And so to get an understanding of what heaven is like, let's just start off and let's, let's go to what was the heaven, the, what was the heaven of the Old Testament saints? Where, where did they go? Okay, be, they, we know they're going to end up in the kingdom, but where were they when they died? Did they go, did they go to the same place? And I'm going to mention this right off the bat. This is what I, I concluded based on my Bible study. Not everybody agrees with me who are good, solid Bible teachers, but this is what I've concluded through, and there's a number who agree, others who have a different concept. But I think that if you go to Luke 16, I can support this concept of where the Old Testament saints went. In fact, I can think I can prove to you from Scripture, where did Jesus go when he died? Based on Luke chapter 16. Do you remember the story of Luke 16? You may want to turn there. And just, we read it through this morning as we did the Bible study. In Luke chapter 16, it's, it's the actual factual account of Lazarus and the rich man ending up in hell. Okay, and he's talking about it. In, to get a concept of what we're talking about, let's pretend we're living in the Old Testament era or in the time that Jesus was alive before the cross. And when we talked about dying, typically we talked about we would go to the place of the dead. The place of the dead, the Hebrew, and then it, came, it was developed in the New Testament when they started adjusting languages. But they used the word Sheol. Sheol could refer to the place of the dead for the good or the bad. Like in Genesis chapter 37, verse 35, if you were to look it up, it talks about Jacob, who's trying to, his family's trying to comfort him. And his sons and daughters are saying, Joseph is dead, and you were trying to comfort you. And he says, basically says, I'm not going to be comforted because I shall go to be with him. Okay? And he says, I shall go. In our King James, it reads, I shall go to the grave. The word literally is Sheol, that he's going to go to hell, to, to Sheol. Sheol is translated sometimes the grave, it's translated sometimes as hell. And so there's different translations. What exactly is it? And so as I understand it, and basing some of it on Luke 16, is Sheol, there was a spot, and I'm going to use the terms, there's an upper Sheol and a lower Sheol. There was a, it was a spot where the dead people went, both the good and the believers and unbelievers of the Old Testament. And they would go to this Sheol. The upper place was called Abraham's bosom, Luke 16. It's also called paradise when Jesus says to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, and so upper Sheol was the place that as you look at, you know, it was separated from lower Sheol, where he says there's a great gulf or a chasm that's dividing the two of us. Upper Sheol would be a place where it was peaceful, it was comfort, it was heaven-like. 
It was a place of rest and comfort. And he's resting in Abraham's bosom after all of his torments. That is Lazarus. But down in the lower part where the rich man ends up, it's a place of torments. Fire. It's hell-like. And so there you have this, this place where everybody went to in the Old Testament, but one was heaven-like and one was hell-like. And so they would go there. Okay? They didn't have a concept of heaven as we do. Jesus introduced that as something very new. And they didn't have it. All they were looking for is, we're going to go to Sheol, remain there until the kingdom comes. And so that was their thought, their hope. And when, what happened when Jesus died, when Jesus died and he gave up the spirit, so his spirit left his body, where did his spirit go? It didn't go to heaven right away. Okay, it didn't go there. It talked about, we showed you the passages this morning that talk about that he descended, first of all, before he ascended on the ascension, he first descended to the lower parts of the earth. He went to Sheol. But what the Sheol that he went to was the Sheol that we would call the upper part, Abraham's bosom. And there, while he's there, he was able to speak just like Abraham was able to talk to Lazarus. Uh, Abraham was able to talk to the rich man. They could have communication, but they didn't have the same experience. Jesus is in upper Sheol speaking to those in lower Sheol, and he's talking about, and basically it's explaining, I think, explaining that they're here because they didn't believe, even though they've been given so much time, the 120 years before the judgment of the flood that came. And so Jesus was there, his spirit was there, his body is still lying in the tomb, in the grave, great, okay. So he's there and he's speaking, and that's why where Jesus okay, was from that time of Friday, if, it, if, you, if you believe it's Friday afternoon, up until early Sunday morning, that's where his spirit was. That's where he says to the thief, today you'll be with me in this upper shield part. And so they're there for those days. And then what happens is Jesus comes back to life. He's resurrected. His spirit went back to his body. It's his spirit and body are functioning, and eventually Jesus is going to ascend and go into heaven and be basically the first fruits into heaven. And what happens is when Jesus ascends into heaven, he takes upper shield with him to what he is preparing, what we know as heaven today. And so the other people, they're left in lower shield. They're left in hell, which is still the functioning hell today. And so what you have is this lower shield remained. It's the same thing it was in the past. It's going to stay there, but it too is eventually going to be removed. And people from there are going to go into the lake of fire. That's a whole other message. So Upper Sheol has been transferred, and Jesus was the first one basically entering into heaven with a glorified body that he took all of those spirits, the Old Testament saints, he took them all with them up into heaven. And so then they are experiencing the heaven that we often talk about that he was going to tell us that we could experience after he's got it prepared. He left to prepare a place, and then I'll come again receive you unto myself. And we read all of those comments where he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And so we go and we say, okay, now John 14 gives us the information of what is current heaven like. What does that involve? Okay, and this is the heaven. Now John 14 is the heaven that Stephen looked steadfastly up and saw Jesus Christ when he was being stoned. 
This is the heaven where Jesus appeared to Saul on the Damascus road, where he was, all of a sudden he saw the brightness, the brilliance, and there was a light from heaven. Okay, that's the heaven where Jesus has ascended to. This is the heaven that Paul writes about, I'm in a strait, I'm hard-pressed, I have a desire to depart, but I have a desire to remain to be with family. This is the heaven that we are confident, willing rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. This is the heaven that he says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from, we, from it we await the Savior, Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be that body that will be resurrected to be like his glorious body. This is the heaven that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about and says, uh, he calls it heaven and he calls it paradise. He says, I knew somebody, whether in the body or not in the body, he says that three times in the text, caught up into the heaven and heard unspeakable, unlawful words about the things that were too hard for a man to describe, beyond uh, people's description. This is the heaven now, John 14, where we are going to be raptured to. Jesus is going to come from, meet us in, meet us in the clouds, and take us back to. And so it's, it's where our next residing spot, if we die and our spirits go to heaven, or if we get raptured, we go to heaven. John 14 helps us to get a glimpse, what is that heaven like? It's different than the Old Testament's Sheol. They're now, their spirits there. We're going to join them. It's the heaven where the Bema seat will take place. So we're going to have a lot of relationship and activity, and we're going to be experiencing this heaven of John chapter 14. And the question is, what's it like? What's it like? And so we want to talk about it, and I want to make this comment. This heaven is where we go, and we say we're going to be with Jesus for eternity, but this heaven isn't where we will spend all of our next years. For a thousand years, we're going to be back here on earth, but it'll be a heavenly-like earth. So this heaven is, can I use the term without being too disrespectful to the Lord? It's an intermediate spot. Okay, it's going to be eventually transferred into the kingdom of God on earth, and eventually it's going to become, it's going to be removed, and there's going to be an entirely new heaven and new earth. Again, that is for future discussion, that that will take place after the kingdom. And so this heaven that we're talking about is something we should get excited about, okay? Paul says, you know, I have a craving, is when he says, you know, that idea, I'm in a strait, I have a desire. The word is I have a strong craving, something that excites him. Um, this is me, okay? I lived there for 30 years in that house on the other side of town, on the other side of the tracks. Now I live just a mile from here. And it's a far better house. Far better. Well, heaven's like that. What there was in the Old Testament was great. It was paradise. It was that upper shield. But it's even better today. And it's even going to get better in the future. And so we look at this and say, what makes heaven so amazing? If you have ever heard me in the last five years preach a funeral message from John 14, you heard some of this. Okay, I'm going to repeat some and add some to it, and we'll get started just this evening. By the way, this was all introduction. Okay. So we're going to talk about and give you a description starting this evening and then next Sunday morning pick up what is the heaven that's right now. The heaven that, that people go to. The where, what is it like? And I'm going to use an alliteration. I'm going to use some R's. And the first one, it's real. I know this sounds fantastical, but it is absolutely real. I go to a place, and if it were not so, I would have told you. 
This idea that this heaven is such a wonderful place and such a beautiful place, it's not a myth, it's not a legend, it's a fact, it's based upon the words of Jesus Christ. If we deny this heaven, we deny the integrity of Jesus. It's a real place. Jesus has descended from this place. Jesus understands what it's like. He is preparing it. So Jesus is an eyewitness telling us what heaven is like. And it's a real place that's in the spiritual realm. Okay, and it's in this realm exactly where in the sky. By the way, you do realize that in Scripture, this is called the third heaven. Okay, the reason it's called the third heaven is not because some other cultic groups will say, well, there's different levels for different people. Only certain numbers get into a certain part of heaven. That's not true. Okay, all it means is our atmosphere. This is heaven. We look up in the clouds. That's, that's heaven to us. The solar system is a higher, expansive heaven. The third heaven, the one that's even above and beyond in the sense of concept and beauty, that's the third heaven. That's what we're talking about. That third heaven, it still has some substance to it, but not quite the same as what we're familiar with in the sense that there are real places there. There's homes, mansions, there's a city, there's a country. There is, even as you think about it, there's physical matter there right now. Jesus Christ is a physical body, yes? He's in heaven. Who else had their body taken to heaven? Enoch. Okay, so his body is there. There's physical elements in heaven that we know that when we come back from heaven, what are we riding? Okay, if we take scriptures literally, maybe some of you want to modify that and say a cycle of some sort. But if we take it, there's, there's physical animals there. When we get raptured, we are going to have physical bodies, and where are we going to go? To this heaven. So though it's spiritual, it has the ability with physical qualities. It's a real place. It's a supernatural blend of the matter and the spirit. And so as I mentioned, Jesus is there. Enoch is there who had a body. Elijah was taken away, taken there, and so he has the real physical body. When we get raptured, we're going to go there with real physical bodies. So it's a realm that it has a physical quality, and yet there's the spiritual aspect that they blend together. It's a real place. It's real if we take another step. It's relevant. What I mean by relevant is this. It is a place prepared for us that is something we can relate to, we can feel, we can understand. If, if I broke this down, and I'm, I'm not trying to get too mystical with this, but just to give it a concept, um, heaven is a place where we maintain individuality. We maintain identity. It's not this spiritual orb or energy or plasma or some element that's just a cloud and a vapor where all of a sudden we all kind of just become a, you've seen the movies, we all become an orb of light. We all just become part of a big light bulb. Okay, that's not heaven. Heaven is where you are still going to be you if you're born again. You can still be recognized. In fact, the recognition is absolutely amazing. The apostles, when they saw Jesus there on the transfiguration, they immediately knew that it was Moses and Elijah. You know, how did they know that? There's a, there's a perception, there's a recognition. I guess when we get to heaven, we're going to be able to, you know, this is a fact. Any of you have struggles remembering people's names? Okay, am I the only one that all of a sudden looks and says, hey, Mary? Oh, sorry, Deb. Okay, that we miss our names. Any of you call your kids the wrong names? Okay, and you call them by the dog's name? Okay. The, uh, 
all of a sudden when we get to heaven, are we going to be able to recognize people? Yes. We're going to be able to know people. We uh, had this afternoon with one of our families that we're spending time with, and they were telling us their family history, going back through, they, they couldn't uh, figure out, was it four greats or three greats grandfathers who had been born again? Can you imagine getting to heaven and meet ancestors that you didn't know who were born again? Isn't that going to be cool? It's just going to, I'm going to be able to introduce my grandkids to ancestors. And heaven's going to be this place where there's, well, well that's a whole other message. But we maintain our individuality. We, uh, we will live there, whether it's our spirit or after the rapture, our human bodies. So it's relevant in that we can exist. We can be in this atmosphere. And it's going to be an atmosphere designed for us. It's like if you wanted to go into the bottom of the ocean, you couldn't survive. You couldn't breathe or the pressure. But all of a sudden, if there's a machine, a device, a submarine, it helps you to adapt to it. Well, God is going to make heaven in such a way that our bodies can adapt to it. And we'll be able to live there, whether a spirit or later on as a body. And when we think about it as being relevant, he's got things that we relate to. We relate to substance. We relate to homes, streets, cities, gates, doors. We relate to order. And orderliness. We relate to government. And it's kind of all that there's, there's no matter where people live, they need shelter. Where they live, they need be able to, to traverse between. No matter where they live, there needs to be some type of structured order. Heaven has that. But heaven has not only things that we relate to because we need them, heaven has things that we enjoy. I don't know about you. Do you I, I can't play a, a note. Okay, I, I'm not musical, but I enjoy music. Do you? Heavens can be filled with music. That second one, okay? Any of you enjoy food too much? Okay. Heaven's got a, there's food there. We relate to that. We understand that. There's going to be other people. That is very important because we were created to be social creatures. Heaven's got that where we can relate to. There's going to be peace in heaven. We can relate to that. There's some of you really, really, really love your pets. Okay, am I saying that your pet is going to die and go to heaven? No, I am not. Okay, the fish that I just flushed last week, I don't expect to see that fish in heaven. Okay, could there be that type of creature in heaven? Sure, but our, our pets are different than us. They don't have an eternal soul. But will there be animals in heaven? We know there's horses. Okay, and so that, that are in that heaven. We know in the kingdom as well, but that heaven above, they're there and we're going to ride them on our, on our resurrected bodies. So we know that there's things that we would enjoy, which all of this together implies that God is making it a place where we can relate to and we can enjoy. And, and this brings me to a very, very important thought. People often say, oh, that person passed away. And it's so sad they're going to miss out on so much. Heaven is filled with all the things that we enjoy. That person isn't missing out. They can still experience a whole lot in heaven. And so there's that, that whole concept is just absolutely amazing. It's a remarkable spot. Remarkable in that, let me, let me show you why. In our, in our Father's house are many mansions. When you think of mansions, what comes to your mind? Big place? Yes, no? Some of you are right away thinking, too much cleaning. Okay, too much upkeep. 
Some of you are thinking taxes, taxes, taxes. It's free, by the way. Heaven doesn't have taxes. The word mansions in the King James is really, um, is, is really kind of shifts our thinking. Okay? The word manai that's used there is translated an abode. And it talks about abiding or having a, a place where you can, you can be on a permanent basis. You see, when he's talking, using this term, he's not talking about palatial home. He was implying to them a permanent home. The Abrahams, for instance, they were nomadic. They were in this, in this world, but they were moving about. The beauty that God was saying to Abraham is you're going to have a country where you're going to have a permanent place. And so that's when we talk about mansions, the, one of the things that makes it absolutely remarkable is the places where we're going to live that Jesus is preparing for us. It's a long-lasting structure. Now, that's different than our homes. Okay, things are made not to last real long. Here in America, we think, oh, a house that's lasted 200 years. You know, and what did they find in Egypt this, this past week? They found homes from 3,000 years ago. Okay, that, that were buried in the sand. Well, that's a long time. The home that Jesus is building for us is a long-term residency, a permanent residency. That makes it remarkable. It is remarkable because if we look to other passages that talk about the building structure, talk about the building materials, we build with wood, steel, drywall. We have insulation. When it's describing that new Jerusalem, which is down the road, but he is preparing in heaven, it's the, the foundation stones, the, the stuff that you use at the very bottom, that we use cement and rock. God uses the 12 most precious, precious gems in the universe. That's, that's the foundation. We are really proud of our Pennsylvania roads, that we, of all the different states, we have more paved roads than anybody else. We have more potholes than anybody else, but we have more paved roads. And that's an, that's an identity for Pennsylvania. We got paved roads, but they're made out of tar, whatever. What are the streets made out of in heaven? The streets of gold. So the material makes it absolutely remarkable. You know, when we start thinking about heaven, it's a perfect environment. There is no COVID in heaven. There is no human government in heaven. Amen, amen, amen. There is no need for a police force in heaven. There is no need for insurances in heaven. There is no need for doctors in heaven. No offense to those of you in the medical field. We thank God for you, but you're out of a job. We won't need dentists. Okay? We won't need, we won't need any of those things. And by the way, I should just be, there's no need for preachers in heaven. Okay? So I'm out of a job too. So we look at it and say it's a perfect environment. And just give me a look at these pictures. They're all true scenery pictures. Are they pretty? They all have something in common. For as every one of them, you would typically, if you saw this, you would get take a picture and you would say to somebody with you, come and see this. But what do they all have in common, despite their beauty? They are all tainted by sin. For all their beauty, they're part of this sin-cursed earth. As beautiful as all that is, it's been marred. Think of how beautiful heaven must be, where there's no marring. It is a perfect 
environment that hasn't that our kids haven't gotten to yet. Okay? We haven't gotten there yet. The main attraction of heaven is Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 1. If you start reading the book of Revelation, first thing that John sees is Jesus. And what is his response when he sees Jesus? Falls down as a... He is so overwhelmed by Jesus that he is just says, this is... And he, and he talks about it. He says, there's no need for sunlight because who's radiating the light of heaven? Jesus Christ. God. Amazing. Amazing. We can't fully understand and conceive because we're so enamored with things in this world. We just don't understand how, how awesome this is, how amazing it is, but it is absolutely remarkable. Oh, we can talk about all these other things, and next Sunday morning I'll talk about a lot of these. But let me just add this. The last phrase in this conversation, Jesus, John uh, Thomas asks, you know, where do we know where you're going? How can we follow you? And Jesus says the way you know, et cetera, et cetera. And Jesus says... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father. Okay, heaven has restrictions. There's limits to, to heaven. The limitation is not everybody who demands to get in will get in. That the individual to get into heaven, you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your names have to be written in his book of life. Do you know that your name is already written down in his reservation form? Do you know for sure that you are on your way to this wonderful place? It is up to you to determine if you are going to respond to the invitation that God has made. You want to come into heaven? Then believe on my son. But if you don't believe on my son, he that believeth not is condemned already. It's up to you. We'll talk more about this wonderful place, but make sure you know for sure you're on your way. Father, thank you for these folk and their attentiveness. Thank you for Jim's testimony earlier. We thank you for even the family to come and to be supportive and thank you for their friendship and their sweetness and even showing up this evening to do that for Jim. We pray, Father, that you bless our fellowship here in these next few minutes. Thank you for this church family and for the joy that they are to give us just a little bit of a glimpse of what heaven is like. They make it so wonderful. I am so blessed to be a part of this group and to be able to call these folk my friend. And Father, we look forward to the day when you come back and we would pray as they did in the scriptures. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Until that time you come, help me, help my friends to remain faithful. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.